0: Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to talking about the things no one wants to talk about in real life. I'm Christina, your host, and this week we're talking about a lot of things that people don't want to talk about in real life, uh, namely addiction, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, My guest's name is Mara, and uh, she is a fellow addict, and we just have a lot to say on the topic. Because addiction can be really messy. And in fact, you know, it's always messy. And whether you're addicted to alcohol or food or drugs or shopping, you know, whatever it is, I think we can all agree that it's not a one size fits all. And what some people might consider recovery from addiction might look different to someone else. And so uh, we talk about that among other things. You know, whether you're early on in your recovery or whether you are still actively addicted, (laughs) for lack of a better term, hopefully you can find something in this episode that you really connect to. And uh, as always, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the matter. Um, I'm not going to use too much time on this intro because I have a Super Bowl party to get to. I just want to say that I do not care about sports in the slightest, but my friends invited me and I'm trying this new thing where I don't say no to things, you know, putting myself out there and all that. But I do want to give you guys an update on my therapist visit last week, which actually... Oh my god, do you guys hear that? It's my neighbor's puppy. They got a puppy and... This whole entire week, it's been crying in their apartment and I don't know what to do. Like, do I, I'm not used to having neighbors. This is the first time I've ever lived in an apartment and you can really hear everything. And like, I don't want to be an ass, like it's a puppy, you know, what? what's it going to do? But I feel bad for the thing. And also I keep trying to record this and it messes me up. So yeah, getting a little irritated at that. <clears throat> maybe I can like sneak in and steal the puppy and let it live here instead. And it can be a playmate for Ruby. That's a solid plan. Um, what was I even talking about? Oh yeah. My doctor visit. So yeah. Um, she wasn't really a therapist per se. I know I called her that on the previous episode, but, uh, she was more like a, a doctor and she specializes in eating disorders, which is as you know, I have struggled with for over thirteen years and uh, continue to struggle with. Like it's it's still affecting my daily life, but I I feel like I don't need help right now. And honestly, like that's um like my guest says later on in this episode, when you are in the middle of an addiction, it just becomes normal, and you don't even realize that what you're doing is messed up. And and I do feel the same way right now about my eating disorder. Um, I'm not really ready to pursue recovery full time, but I also don't want to keep feeling miserable and hating my body. So I went to see this doctor and of course she wanted me to pursue a higher level of care and I just wasn't ready for that uh, financially or mentally. So I told her that and she was really understanding and she gave me a list of therapists in my area that Uh, might be more affordable and that weren't as much of a commitment but um I don't know it was just weird hearing from an outside perspective that I was sick and I needed help Uh, I don't know I might cut this I really it's really uncomfortable to talk about in public like this mom because I'm like I said I'm not really ready to deal with it and coming to terms with that is hard um But I do want to be honest with you guys and keep you in the loop, so I'm not seeing that doctor anymore, but I am looking for just a regular therapist still to talk to, Uh, and I'll keep letting you guys know how that goes. With that said, I'm going to jump straight into the episode. I hope you guys are having a great first week of February, and as always, if you want to reach out... You can find me on Instagram, that seems to be the popular way to contact me, um, at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. I'm trying to be better about updating my stories for you guys and asking questions and having polls and stuff like that. Uh, It's really fun to engage with you and uh, get your thoughts on certain things. And also, if you want to be a guest, you know how to hit me up. Uh, I have a lot of cool guests planned for the rest of the season, and I'm really excited to uh, see what the future has in store. All right, here's the episode. I hope you guys enjoy. So, um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Thanks. Sorry it was so late. It took me forever to kind of get through some stuff that I thought would be done, so thanks.
0: Oh, well, it's actually a good thing because I had a problem with my microphone because my cat chewed through a wire.
1: I'm glad you got it working.
0: <laughs> yeah, I still don't really know what I did. I just, like, fiddled around with it and it started working. So, if you hear any weird noises at any point, um, let me know.
1: Okay, yeah, this might be the one where it's like suddenly the audio cuts out. That's cool. I mean, sometimes all it takes is like just pressing a wire right, and then it's like, oh, it's all right. It fixed itself.
0: Yeah, just take some gum, wrap it around the wire, you know. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. Do you work with audio equipment? Because you work in the film industry, right?
1: I do. Yeah. So I'm mostly on the presentation side. So I've done a lot of like video and audio editing. And um, right now I work for like a nonprofit essentially. So I do a lot of like tech setups and audio and video setup. That's so cool. How yeah, long have you been you. doing that? On and off kind of since college. But this is the first year in a long time that I've been like full time at a job that does that. So I guess informal answer like a decade. Nice, <laughs> but uh, yeah. You just dated no, I, yourself. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty open about being an old person, but
0: <laughs> no, old people They're are the best. I, I strive yeah. to be one someday.
1: Yeah, it uh, creeps up on you. I, I don't think I really expected to make it. I mean, I'm only only uh well no okay so I haven't been doing it for quite a decade. I guess I rounded up. I'm only 29. Oh, psh, so like that's eight nothing. years eight years yeah
0: um we're doing this kind of out of order I don't even know that much about you no no I'm um why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and talk a little bit about your mental health history like in a nutshell
1: totally I um I think that kind of like when you reached out we kind of uh, like the hook was we sort of wanted to talk about addiction or yes. I, I do I guess I always want to talk about addiction. can I say
0: really. I am just really excited about this topic
1: <laughs> yeah I um, I started panicking a little bit about it this morning I was like oh shit like obviously I feel like anyone who brands themselves like an expert on addiction or anyone who thinks they have it figured out is patently full of shit and um, (laughs) and it's such a contentious topic and I feel like it's something that like everyone approaches so personally and everyone kind of like Even if you know you don't have the right answer, you still always have a tendency to be like, yeah, well, I'm I'm doing it pretty good. (laughs) So I was like, this morning I had this flash of panic where I was like, oh, no, I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to make someone very upset. But I'm here. (laughs)
0: That's that's what the podcast is here for, to
1: uh, stir the pot, you know? Yeah, there's never like a clean or easy answer for it. So um yeah. Okay. I guess working backwards. I'm Mora, and um, I have a spotty mental health background, as so many people do. I have a long and storied history with clinical depression, with um, eating disorders, so atypical anorexia, and I've had a few notable relapses there. Uh, panic disorder, I have generalized anxiety, and that has been a huge theme, both in like my everyday life and my addiction history, really. And then uh, kind of a complex trauma history, I guess, as so many people do. Um, Yeah, in terms of addiction, I I identify as an alcoholic addict. Um, I've had issues with a whole lot of things over time, but alcohol seems to be the thing that I come back to over and over. I I try to be pretty open about that as a process. Um, And I think when I started talking about it, it was kind of this very aggressive form of like advocacy. I was like, ah, look, I can do this. I can get sober. I can talk about it like and so can you so can everyone else
0: um when you say advocacy you are you advocating for sobriety or for just the openness to talk
1: about it openness yeah just transparency because it felt like this incredibly tawdry thing and it felt like something that um no one wants to talk about i don't know yeah no one wants to talk it's about a it. Sh- it's shameful do, exactly or if they do it's this very like clean like It's an AA speaker meeting story. Oh, yeah, like you're not allowed to talk
0: about it unless you're already (laughs) recovered, you know?
1: Right, exactly. And I've reached a point, I guess, in my own kind of addiction and mental health recovery journey, in so many words, where I fully believe that, like, full remission, full recovery is possible for other people. I'm not so sold on the idea that any of that is going to be possible for me. So I kind of live in this space where my attitude toward my own mental health and toward my own addiction and toward my own um, like substance use is kind of a permanent state of harm reduction at this point and it's not the cleanest narrative and it's not the most uplifting narrative but it is a middle point where I kind of feel the safest and where I've had more or less the best or most consistent results I started my addiction journey we'll say yeah (laughs) my journey no I mean sometimes
0: it's the when you say it I picture you using like air quotes around it
1: (laughs) like there's no way to talk about that kind of thing um, without either kind of forcing it into a box where you have a clear like I used to be terrible and now I'm way better or where it's not it doesn't have you know at least some degree of irony yeah. Because it's complicated and it, it's not a real uh, pretty or like simple narrative. So yeah, I, I guess journey in air quotes is pretty apt. Um, <laughs>
0: That's going to be the name I, of the uh... episode, journey in air
1: quotes. <laughs> Just no, please we'll do. See. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> I started using before I started drinking, which I think is a pretty atypical uh, trajectory. But I started using uh, opiates. I was abusing prescription drugs and then I started smoking heroin when I was in art school. As Um, one does. Yeah, as one does. Honestly, I feel like it's sadly kind of an art school cliche. And boy, did it ever hold up for me. So I started off with uh, prescription pain medicine and I knew a guy who was dating a guy who had, for whatever reason, just like this endless medicine cabinet that was full of everything in like liquid form. So it was like hydrocodone syrup and lots of codeine. And it was crazy. Damn. So I I had a dramatic low point, I guess, my last year of college where I had kind of been drinking sketchy cough syrup, uh, which kind of makes it sound um, a lot nicer than it was, but drinking a lot of sketchy painkillers and starting to smoke heroin and um, just couldn't do it anymore. And I actually at that point uh, attempted suicide and then detoxed in the hospital. So that was when most of my mental health stuff kind of came on the radar. Yeah. So I came off a lot of stuff. I was drinking very heavily at that time as well as as one might. But I detoxed. I, I got out of the hospital. I was on a uh, an in inpatient mental health for 15 days before transferring to like a like a PHP program, essentially, and then moved back in with my mom, which was mortifying. Ugh, yeah. Um, I recognize like the amount of privilege I had to be able to have that trajectory instead of ending up, you know, arrested or whatever. And I, I fully own that. And I still have a lot of guilt over that especially I'm in the U S as well. So especially in the U S like, you know, access to healthcare and access to resources and the way that, you know, drug possession and drug use is culturally treated and kind of pathologized. I'll always have some guilt about that because I was essentially a little white girl who could afford to fuck up school.
0: I know. Um, I mean, (laughs) I I, I guess
1: I get why, but I feel super lucky to have had that safety net. Um, super lucky
0: <laughs> now question uh about the inpatient yeah. um so they were treating you specifically for your addiction right or, or I mean you attempted suicide as weird as
1: it was yeah I attempted suicide and for whatever reason they were mostly concerned about the mental health stuff at that point so what was so their I...
0: approach like towards the addiction side of it
1: the approach was kind of like, hi, you sure failed this UA really bad. Should we address that? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And I had tried to overdose on pills as like that was my my method of attempting suicide. So I think some of that was obscured. Um, Certainly, they went through my purse and found a whole ton of fun stuff. So, but in triage situations, I think they tend to drop the ball a little bit. So, I was um, referred to a PHP program that was like, "Oh, dual diagnosis, addiction." It had all of that very sunny language. Yeah. Um, but they weren't quite as concerned about the substance use as like a primary source. I think that they thought most of what brought me in was my intentional overdose so things kind of got obscured there
0: were you kind of relieved that it was glossed over or did you really want help at that point
1: I was so relieved yeah (laughs) I was so relieved because at that point I was absolutely not ready to like conceptualize myself as an addict it literally I think the first time I realized that like oh maybe I have a problem was I don't know. It was either the first time I went to work and was like, Oh, no, I'm still so high from yesterday. I haven't even done anything right now. That was maybe my wake up call. And then I think I tried to stop for like a day or two. And I was like, God, why do I feel so bad? Like, I literally did not fucking put it together. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which Well, I, I mean, mean,
0: what was your education on that kind of on addiction?
1: Barely anything. Um, and I we can talk about this later. Out. That's like a whole other yeah. topic. <laughs> no, I uh, frankly, I think that that's like a really it's a really good point. I was incredibly naive about addiction because I again, I already kind of dated myself a little bit. I'm 29. So I grew up. Kind of in the my teen years were the peak years for um, doctors handing out painkillers and benzos for literally everything for no reason, so it was super easy to get a lot of prescription stuff, super easy to get hooked. It was just like a completely different like culture in terms of like prescribing and how like people, I guess, regarded prescription drugs. So I think it was at least based on the people I know and a lot of the circles I've run in for a while it feels like that was kind of the genesis of a lot of people's problems um Mm. just in my own experience and that was that was certainly mine so my my education regarding addiction was pretty piss poor uh it was you know dare in the 90s and then oh god degrassi (laughs) literally nothing um I had no idea I I literally you know and you didn't know about
0: withdrawals either it sounds like
1: no I had no idea and there's a part of me that's shocked that I was that stupid, but also I've known myself for almost thirty years, and I can I can buy it. I, I was just really naive about it. I think I, you're being
0: a little hard on yourself, <laughs> just a little bit. Maybe,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll I'll admit, and I think a lot of us definitely do this, but I totally cling to like the self-deprecating, like gallows humor as a way of. Oh, I mean, I, I, I love it. Don't
0: get me wrong, but yeah, I do the same yeah. thing. No
1: that's fair like I would never judge anyone else for um being as like just uneducated about it as I was but in retrospect like oh man (laughs) so yeah I honestly had no idea that I was uh like pretty like chemically dependent like I'm unclear how you can get to the point where you're smoking heroin
0: yeah you're
1: like yeah it's still fun but again it was art school yeah all your friends are doing it of the people I knew, maybe two or three didn't have some kind of substance use disorder, whether that was drugs or alcohol or whatever. That's and
0: really so crazy. I, think, was, I mean, it's believable. It was but rough.
1: I think I think it's probable also that I fell in with a subset of people where that was just that was the culture. And that oh, yeah. Social no,
0: I mean, I tend to be attracted to that kind of person, too. It's just yeah. like you. I'm, well, I Well, oh, man. I love talking about this and I'm going to go on so many tangents, but, um, do you think that you've always had uh, an addictive nature without a
1: doubt? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I found out kind of after the fact, like the last four or five years, I've gotten some some, some trickle truths from my, my family where it's kind of come out that like oh okay this is actually this is like hereditary this is a genetic thing I oh, totally. definitely have a predisposition to this and you know my parents and grandparents were never really the type to talk about it but once you know what to look for I guess the dots start connecting themselves but at the time it I had no idea it was just just a thing I I fell into and I thought I was having fun until I realized I really was not. (laughs) Until you
0: weren't. Going back to your timeline. So you were in the hospital and then you got out and you were in the partial treatment program.
1: And at that point, you
0: still, did you consider yourself addicted or were you just kind of going with the flow?
1: um, At that point, I was also like dipping my toe into like 12 step programs and that kind of culture. Because there was a very, I think in any, well, no, that's a generalization. In many treatment modalities for addiction, there's this very black and white, very like all or nothing, like yes. complete abstinence, like approach to it. So I think it's very easy, especially if you are in like very early recovery to immediately be like, okay, now I am a sober person. And now I'm holding myself to a new standard. Mm-hmm. And I will be totally perfect. And you know, any, like slip ups, any whatever, like I have to be very polarized in my thinking. And for a lot of people, that's awesome. And that does work. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm never going to argue that, you know, it's not helpful to get out of situations that have like triggers for your use patterns like i will never argue against that like sometimes it is what it takes like you just have to walk away so i definitely adopted kind of this like self-flagellating like need for like total orthodoxy so (laughs) i you know i i also was living with my mom and uh my whole social circle my whole everything suddenly gone because i moved back home i put school on pause for a while and it was um it was a big change. So, you know, going from whatever I was doing, hang out with my friends, going to shows, whatever, to living with my mother in the suburbs, nowhere near where I was going to school. It was huge. So I started to rely on, oh, well, you're a sober person. Now you're my social circle. Or like, oh, I know you from treatment. Now you're my social circle. So it was lots of like sober hiking and like going to Denny's oh my god (laughs) all those like 12 step and treatment cliches
0: (laughs) girl I feel your pain uh Uh, I mean I'm kind of newly sober um but I don't like the sober identity it it tends it is it is very black and white and polarizing because like you were saying people who are newly sober they just kind of make it their identity and that's all they do and that's all the people they hang out with and it's kind of depressing
1: yeah and Again, I I never I don't want to make it sound like I'm um for lack of literally any more eloquent terms like shitting on that lifestyle no, because for yeah. some people it's certainly awesome and when you're in like very early sobriety it can be really just easier it can be a lot more comfortable oh, totally. to just be like okay here's some training wheels and like here's a an activity that doesn't involve alcohol but it I do it think it can be it's, dangerous though. Yes, because I think like especially if you hang around any like I'm going to use AA and NA as like a, a lot of my kind of references because that's just what I have experience with. But you see those old timers yeah. who've been doing this for forever and they've been going to the same home group for like 15 years mm-hmm. and they're there and all they do is like not just activities, comma sober, but they do capital sober activities and that is so bleak to me. It it really does feel like an extension of that like addict mentality. Oh, oh my god, I'm you... so glad you said right. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um can you uh, expound on that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. And I I so apologize if I'm just talking like a mile a minute as well. Um No, I love it. But it it it, <laughs> it does feel like an extension of an addict mentality or of a use mentality at a certain point because I understand that for some people it is like imperative really to continually focus on your addiction and focus on ignoring it and focus on moving past that and that will always be a core part of that identity but I think there's a real trap that's easy to fall into where you go from being an active addict or an active user or an active drinker whatever your substance of choice is and structuring your life and identity and your day around your your use around your drug and then when you shift to sobriety there's this tendency to suddenly define yourself by the absence of your drug and you're now you come in and you're still in this mentality, you're still in this identification that you're a person who, is, um, who has a, like, a problem with a certain behavior or a certain substance, but you don't ever really move past that. You're yeah. now just a person who had a problem will always have a problem but doesn't use it well yeah and you define
0: yourself by it and you're still obsessed with it it's just in a different way and that's why I don't like to call myself sober even though I don't drink because I feel like it carries a certain connotation and I don't want to make that my identity like I don't want to focus on it because then I'm, I'm still thinking about alcohol 24 7 you know
1: yeah absolutely and for some people like again the sober identification is like it works this for some is,
0: people, yeah.
1: It works for some people. And I won't take that validity away. But I know for me, it never felt right because it felt like I was perpetually like trapping myself in that very early sobriety mindset where like it was total orthodoxy, I guess religion, really. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so orthodoxy, I, like, you old, had to be perfect.
0: How old were you when you started developing this mentality?
1: So let's see. I. Going back to the timeline was, that we keep straying away from. I know. From. Yeah, I was 22 when I got sober. Okay. And I was sober for four years. Damn, girl. And then I relapsed. Um, I relapsed and I started drinking again. And that is an experience that I think really radically changed how I felt about sobriety as a concept, about um, my approach to mental health and um, about my approach to not necessarily addiction as a whole, but to certainly my own addictions. And I say that not really to like excuse anything, because certainly, um, you know, I don't know that it's possible for me to have a relationship with drinking and with substance use that's not in some way problematic. Mm -hmm. And I I acknowledge that. But I reached a point where... um, I, I had stayed sober for a long time. I had gotten to the point where I'd sort of moved past that. I think after year one and a half, like right around the two year mark, I stopped identifying as sober. and mm-hmm. it stopped being like a an everyday thing where it was like, oh, yeah, like, here's my struggle. Here's my advocacy. Here's my transparency. Let me just yeah. talk about this so I can be a beacon to other people and all all of that, which, again can be valid but was definitely a little insufferable for me sometimes (laughs) Um, to it being just like oh yeah no yeah I don't really drink or like oh yeah no not for me it became kind of easy and that was awesome and I, I do think it's possible to move past that like kind of like zealotry that sometimes comes with uh extreme sobriety i guess i like, mean he's a pretty clumsy well, addicts
0: face. addicts are you know extreme people like they think in extreme yeah. ways and so <laughs> yeah, maybe that's absolutely. the i'm saying that as an addict like i feel like yeah. you, sometimes you need to go through that phase absolutely and
1: i do feel like everyone who i've known who's maintained long-term sobriety from anything really has totally gone through a phase where they're like oh newly sober this is awesome this is my whole identity the pink cloud and then eventually yeah yeah that that pink cloud and then you get to a point where it becomes either boring or um and this is like such a stereotype but it either becomes boring and you become just like a normal person who no longer drinks or you start working in addictions recovery yeah (laughs) and that's you forever (laughs) seriously and I yeah like I have a handful of friends and close to a lot of people who are long-term like sober from alcohol and various drugs and um <laughs> so many of them like I don't think anyone works in treatment who did not once have a problem totally and if you do you're just a lost social worker I think. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, you could also start a podcast
1: that's very true.
0: <laughs> what triggered your relapse?
1: So I was in a very unsafe work situation uh, okay. i I had a workplace environment that was incredibly hostile, a lot of sexual harassment and um, I was sexually assaulted by a coworker and that was my um That was the point when I started drinking. That was when I had a pretty notable uh, eating disorder relapse. Just uh, my mental health totally collapsed at that point. And um, I remember, like, taking that first, like, immediate, like, coping strategy, like, fuck it, I have hit my rock bottom drink. And it was just the one. It was Mm. just the one. And I panicked a little bit. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. This isn't me. I remember waking up the next day and on top of the guilt and like panic and fear and shame of like having to process all of these events that are going on to and around me, I then was like, oh shit, I've thrown away fucking years. And that's the danger
0: and of it cuz you didn't like is. you still had the 4 years nothing can take that uh-huh. away from you. Yeah. But in your mind you've tossed it all out the window so why not just right go crazy. Exactly.
1: Again, that is where I feel like that all or nothing approach really really bit me in the ass. Yeah. Um because I won't say it empowered me cuz it did kind of the opposite of that, mm-hmm. but it enabled me, I guess, to see myself not as you know oh I'm a person going through a recovery process and I made an out of character choice based on some really heavy things going on right now yeah. but it's cool I can get myself back on track no I instead I was like oh god I'm a failure I've thrown this away like I wasn't strong enough why why didn't I have better coping skills and in this situation god I would never judge anyone else for having totally. a slip-up but At that point, and I mean, even being around recovery communities and stuff, at that point, just based on, you know, the modalities I was around, the type of personalities I was around, the concept of a lapse versus a relapse, the concept of having a little slip up and just returning to your sobriety as scheduled was not even a part of my vocabulary. It was just like not even in my my like ontological toolkit. You never knew
0: anyone that did that that talked about slipping up?
1: I never knew anyone who really copped to it outside of like, you know... Because people, you know people, people do it. You know people do it. People do it all the time. God. But I think in the circles I was running with really no one acknowledged it or they would immediately reset and they would like start a big deal out of it really yeah work their steps again and i know that there's certain people at various points in recovery who will have wildly different attitudes well yeah you're just taking your own about this yeah but going back to like day zero and treating myself as like someone who had this like severe like pathology and uh, treating it as if the last four years didn't happen mm-hmm. and like I had the same problem I had when I was 22 That's, that wasn't helpful for me that was worse frankly yeah. but that was the mindset I was I living. mean you were going through like... some
0: shit though right
1: yeah absolutely so having that like shame of relapse and having all of that kind of compounded was awful <laughs> and I started drinking a lot just to kind of like get through the day it became a major coping strategy for a lot of that and were you still living with your mom at the time no I was I was on my own I stayed with my mom for about a year got out of um my my php and um kind of went back finished school um i went to a, uh, a, a transferred to a different school and kind of <laughs> quietly finished the rest of my coursework and was living on my own at that point but i i felt like it hadn't that the year of my assault and the year the, of my relapse wasn't amazing for me personally professionally anything it was kind of an awkward transition period Understandable. And this yeah, and this all happened right, like, near Thanksgiving. So I think oh. the time of year where everyone's mental health goes to shit and everyone's yeah. having a rough time, I don't know what it is, but it, it's always that time period. And so suddenly it was like, oh, fuck, everything is just falling apart. What is going on? So, of course, like, dead of winter, I've just gone through this traumatic event. Oh, work is awful to the point where, like, I, I eventually... Um, ended up having to sue that employer like it was, just, it was a nightmare so of course of course I started drinking
0: yeah girl I don't blame you yeah. one bit and I don't think the listeners yeah. will either
1: <laughs> yeah I would have done the I, same
0: exact thing yeah
1: and I would never blame anyone in, in my situation but man I felt so much shame about it at the time and I think you know if I had had a different experience with recovery or a um I guess just a slightly more liberal approach to recovery, something that wasn't so black and white. I don't know that that relapse would have become a full-blown relapse. I have a question for you. I don't know. Yeah.
0: How do you feel about the word recovery?
1: Like in what sense, essentially? Well, like
0: um, you said that you were going through recovery and you were involved in like recovery groups. I don't know. It seems sometimes to carry the same connotation that the word sober does to
1: me. I don't know. No absolutely. I know I can totally see that. It seems unattainable. Yeah sober is definitely a word I've nitpicked a lot. Weirdly recovery is not something that I've nitpicked a lot in an addiction context. Okay we don't have to talk about it I'm just wondering. No 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 absolutely like I feel like I have my doubts about the word recovery and about like how valuable that is in like other mental health contexts specifically like I know that I don't I don't feel like the word recovery is like that helpful uh, in like an eating disorder context. I feel like remission is always a little bit more helpful. And there may be some validity for that with with addictions as well, because it does have this connotation. You're right. It's a little puritanical. Well, yeah. It (laughs) It it just gives me the
0: image of someone, you know, coming in and rescuing you and everything's right again. And you don't ever have to think about your addiction again. It's just too, it, too clean and tidy for me because that's yeah, not how it works.
1: Not at all. It's so weirdly passive. It, it, you're right. Yeah. It does make it sound like it's something that you do once. Like, okay, I went to rehab, like stamp my passport. Or like done. something I that... I'm not an addict anymore. Yeah.
0: It's like, it's like something that happens to you, not something you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Very yeah. passive, like you said.
1: Yeah. and. Following my relapse, I guess, and um, full disclosure, I don't consider myself really to have ever been able to stop or pause after this relapse. So at that point, I essentially functionally resumed drinking. And the longest I've been without drinking since then has been about a month and a half. So I think there's a lot of people who would view this as, Oh, I relapsed and now I am an active alcoholic and I have a big problem again. And it's the same. I'm not sure that I view it that way. Certainly I don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol and with substances, but I've shifted to a mindset where I- I'm focused more on harm reduction behaviors at this point. Now, can you don't know...
0: explain that a little more? In yeah, depth.
1: absolutely. Um, I attempt to moderate my drinking, I attempt to moderate my use, but more than anything else, I think I'm living in a space where my mental health and my life and my my use patterns are such that it's not helpful for me and it doesn't feel attainable for me to really double down and commit to this vision of going back to where I was, hmm. you know, during my period of sobriety. I don't know that that's something that would be um really even positive for well, my mental you health. You can't go to back to that being goal.
0: you can't go back to being that person. No, like you were exactly. changed and yeah. um you know, you don't want to be that person anymore.
1: Yeah, I have my days where certainly I I miss that total sobriety and I certainly think it's it can be a wonderful thing. I know that for me, prioritizing complete and total like sobriety from, from every substance is not helpful. I know that that's something that would um, push me into kind of like pathologizing my behaviors mm-hmm. and kind of just, it would be self-flagellating again. Well, that's another um, thing I
0: want to talk about is just yeah the the concept of being an addict in general. Like, there, I feel my view of it is that there's always going to be something like whether it's alcohol yeah. or other drugs or an eating disorder, or, you know, there's always going to be something that I obsess over that I need. And I just kind mm-hmm. of have found a semblance of peace and the, just accepting that about myself.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like you have as well. Absolutely. Like there is something in my brain. There's something in my personality. There is some configuration of brain chemicals or some process going on that is always going to make me look for that feeling of more and that that treadmill and that constant you know maintenance something in me
0: yeah we have to realize like it's not a flaw in our character like that's the Mm -hmm. big hurdle for me you know the shame and feeling like a bad person like you're weak but you know it is her um hereditary, like you said before. Yeah. Like it's it is a chemical imbalance and mm-hmm. I think yeah, managing it is the most healthy thing you can do right now. Absolutely, um, yeah. So yeah, talk talk more about how you <laughs> how you do manage it. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: I could talk no, about this no, for hours. No, it's a big topic. It is, and everyone does approach it so differently. I feel like after my initial relapse, I definitely went through a period of time where it got bad and it got really rough. Um, I was drinking a ton. I was using other drugs a ton. And I was able, I think just gradually due to like where my mental health was to sort of back off a little bit. And I had a period of relief for a little bit. I know that if I attempted to go back to sobriety, that would end up being something that I would um, It would have a moralistic element to it. And I think, frankly, it would kind of throw a wrench in a lot of my other just mental health processes (laughs) that are going on right now. What do you mean by that? I mean, um, in terms of where I'm at with my eating disorder, in terms of where I'm at with, um, I have since been diagnosed with PTSD, um, and managing that and managing the symptoms, especially with, um, you know, American healthcare, more or less, I can't afford the therapy that would really help me move past a lot of my PTSD symptoms. So for me, there's a part of me that dies a little bit saying this, understanding that i am just a drinker and that i am self-medicating to an extent to manage these symptoms that's the healthiest place i can be where i'm not beating myself up over that i also try to mitigate a lot of my other lifestyle factors so although i've accepted that for now it is the least bad option for me to be a problem drinker to smoke a little too much weed to use some hallucinogens, uh, to manage some of my, uh, PTSD symptoms. That is such a healthier place for me to be than to try to go with nothing yeah. or to accept that like, Oh, well, I'm just a problem drinker. I use drugs. Therefore, like I just have a shitty lifestyle and whatever. So I try to mitigate all my other lifestyle factors where I can. I do, attempt to and obviously having an eating disorder throws a wrench in this to some extent. But I do try to manage nutrition, I do try to make sure that I'm meds compliant as much as I can, I try to make sure that I am aware of kind of you know my own social emotional needs am i getting any mental health red flags do i need more rest do i need a break i try to do a lot of things that get branded as kind of fluffy wellness <laughs> <laughs> but really have such an important role and i think being aware of your own health and body processes totally and for me beyond self care the biggest thing i could do in terms of mitigating the harm that i'm doing by self-medicating is uh being transparent with the people around me and that includes my health care providers that was the hardest thing for me and um, oh yeah alcoholics that... are treated like <laughs> shit oh yeah absolutely especially if you present as someone who is
0: not wanting to get sober not
1: yeah I understand that I have a problem with alcohol I understand that I have a problem with, um, frankly, with some drug use, not anything, obviously, as hard as I was doing, but it's there. And being able to present to a healthcare professional and just really be very transparent, that was a huge step for me. You're so brave brave to do
0: that. Like, more people should do that. Thank you. (laughs) But like, no, seriously, I have a lot of respect for that. And the fact that you're talking about it so openly, like my wish is that more people would talk about it like this. Because I mean, this is a whole other tangent we could go off on. But it's like people who are morbidly obese, and they can't stop eating, you know, fast Mm -hmm. food. It's a chemical. It's an addiction. And Uh they, you know, they get treatment for that. And, you know, they talk about it. And it's fine. But when it comes to alcohol, you, you can't.
1: You can't. It's very difficult, and I have found that obviously it's difficult to find a healthcare provider who's really willing to engage at all on those topics, especially if you come in with this approach. And granted, you know, it's maybe a little uh, cocky of me to be like, "Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna focus on harm reduction my own my own way." <laughs> I mean, it's survival. You know, it like, is, Yeah, and I know that getting sober isn't feasible for me right now. So I'm going to focus on making the safest version of my awful maladaptive coping strategies that I can. So- Being transparent about that, like, especially with healthcare providers, and then almost everyone around me, I, I don't keep it a secret. I'm pretty open about my use patterns. And I know that that is maybe an aggressive approach. But for me, it's the safest and most authentic, I think, version of how I can do this. Because everyone around me, everyone who's close to me, I'm not obviously going up to strangers and like, hey, I drink too much. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, within reason. But the people who need to know are fully aware of what's going on. Because to me, so much of what made my addiction worse was the fact that I kind of beat myself up over it. And I tried to keep it a secret. Yeah. And we all do, you yeah. know, so being able to come out and very radically just say, like, this is my process. I, You know, I'm still processing some trauma. This is not an ideal state for me, but this is infinitely safer and infinitely healthier for me than a lot of other options I've explored right now. Yeah. And knowing that everyone who's close to me and everyone who is literally legally tasked with taking care of me in the, uh, uh, the case of doctors is on the same page about that and that nobody is in denial about it that we're all there we can address the facts and just move past this like oh well maybe i'll quit or like oh well i really shouldn't like no it's it's, like on the table it's
0: like the parents that you know give their teenage kids condoms (laughs) it's like (laughs) they're just happy to know where they are that they're being safe you know they're not denying that it doesn't happen because that's just stupid you know, like it yeah. happens. It's part of life. People are human.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think people have been a little bit shocked by it at first. And I think well, that was that literally
0: there's... what I was going to yeah. ask you is how the people in your life react to this.
1: Man, it's been hard telling some people, frankly, it, it, it was very hard coming clean to some people. But I think the thing that um, really pushed me to that or that tipped the scale like in favor of just telling people was thinking back to how I was when I was actively using and drinking when I was in my very early 20s mm. I, I think there's something that's like all addicts think that no one knows oh my god <laughs> dude fucking knows. I used to go to work
0: <laughs> drunk all the time and I I cringe to think of some of the things I said and did and I thought I was in the yeah. clear
1: no you know, I'm I'm very close to someone who is an alcoholic, I think, on par with how I was in my early twenties. And just thinking about how he presents and he is of the school that does not acknowledge it. Mm. Like, we all know. We all yeah. know. We it's all painful. Know. So it is painful. And I would so much rather I think one out of a sense of like respect for my own process and just let's not bullshit it into out, out of respect for the people around me yeah. like but let, let's not lie about it like if you need to know I will be honest with you about it and I will be honest with you about my rationale and I will be honest about my process like I hope and I do not intend to drink this way and use this way forever but this is where I am now and it's not helpful to me to try to force myself into a paradigm that hasn't quite worked for me for a while and I, I
0: think that's like such a healthy mindset to have but it is it is very controversial I think it's very ra- no. it's radical <laughs> and like I mean I struggle with it and that's like the whole reason that I started this podcast was to be able to talk more about the things I struggled with without feeling like mm-hmm. shame because Yeah. At the time, you know, I didn't I had no intention of stopping, but I just craved having someone to tell like I was dying, just not just holding it in all the time and pretending that nothing was wrong.
1: Yeah, there's something that is incredibly satisfying about being able to call it out, just being able to say that, like, this exists, let's acknowledge it, because culturally, you know, we pack up so much stuff. Anything that's like mental health related, like again, no one, no one wants to talk about it because well, <laughs> it's messy. It's inconvenient. Exactly.
0: You know? I have another question for you. Um, I probably should have asked yeah. this at the very beginning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, I did just kind of start talking. <laughs> oh no, this
0: is great. I'm loving this. But um, going back to the very basics, the definition of addiction. Um, I asked Mm -hmm. a question on Instagram uh, earlier today, you know, in your personal life, how would you distinguish between addiction and habits? And the answers were all across the board. Like some people said they can't distinguish, you know, the two are the same. Some people say like, Mm -hmm. I... I'm an addict, you know, I don't have habits. I just have addictions. I'm very black and white. And a lot of people also said that they started with habits that weren't, you know, they were healthy, they weren't compulsive, but then they ended up becoming mm-hmm. addictions. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to the the definition of addiction, like what is that? Uh, some people said, you know, needing it makes it an addiction, The uh, going through mm-hmm. withdrawals. Like how would you personally define addiction?
1: I think for me, at least... Even trying to draw a line between what a habit is and what an addiction is. A habit is something that like I can realize I've accidentally let slip. And then I think an addiction is something where it's so ever present. It's such a core part of your needs at a certain point Mm -hmm. that you forget it's there until you realize it's a problem like That's you forget good. it exists yeah. the addictions really they kind of weasel their way in and they become this very baseline level of functioning for you a habit i feel like we can even take it out of like a traditional drug and alcohol addiction context and just even use exercise like if you have an exercise habit you're aware of it you like going for your run you whatever it's it's still a choice if you have crossed the bridge into compulsive exercise you no longer really realize what you're doing. You don't, you've lost sight of the point where like, it's certainly not a choice at that point. Mm -hmm. And you've lost sight of how bizarre it is. You've lost sight of how compulsive it's become because it's such a baseline way to satisfy like your need for some input for some stimuli for whatever reaction you get, you yeah. know? And it's kind of the same with alcohol, even. We can bring it back to, to that. If you have a drinking habit, if you have your glass of wine at night, if you even if you have, you know, maybe this is a slightly edgier take on it, but even if you know that you're gonna go out twice a week and get blackout drunk, that's still a habit. Is it mm-hmm. healthy? Is it positive? Is it really the greatest relationship with with substances or with alcohol? No, but it's still something you're electing to do yeah. if you're an alcoholic you so lose sight of it that you almost don't realize what a constant theme it is it's I, like I it's like, like, like
0: breathing you know yes
1: exactly you can't conceptualize yourself without it and you don't try because it's so fully your normal
0: Well, wow, yeah that is so true yeah i oh, sorry you were talking about like your current situation <laughs> I'm all over the place. Do you want to talk more about like your approach or what you wish you knew? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're so good at talking. Just keep doing what you're doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, It all really just comes back to, you know, on a very baseline level, I wish I'd gotten literally any meaningful education about addiction at all, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that, in the last decade, we've had just there's been a lot of public consciousness about it. And some of that is totally bullshit. Some of that is like the whole like, oh, dry January and whatever. Oh, God, don't get me started. It's so obnoxious. It is so obnoxious. I mean,
0: I have friends that are doing it. And it's amazing. Like, I'm so proud of them. But you know, it's kind of awkward for me, because I know at the end of it, they can just go back to drinking like, normal. Exactly. And I can't. I don't, I don't know. That's
1: a Uh, whole other topic. I feel like at the very least, even if culturally we're taking these kind of like blind stabs at like trying to talk about addiction or trying to talk about sobriety or trying to even question kind of like culturally, like, Oh, well, what is our relationship just as an overarching culture with alcohol Mm -hmm. or what kind of messages are we reinforcing through like media and pop culture about like what a normal quote unquote relationship with substance use is. And I think uh, for a lot of people also, you know, the gradual like legalization of cannabis um, in the United States has been a huge like door opener to how we think about substance use and how we normalize that.
0: In what way? Um,
1: I think that it's something that we're so used to thinking of as like, oh, well, this is just blanket statement bad. We're like this is something that we've always been taught to think of as like well it's it's a capital d drug and that's you know non-negotiable and then suddenly like oh well now we're kind of redefining this like both legally and culturally and I think that that has been something that's been a catalyst for a lot of people to kind of examine how they think about substance use and how so much of that is culturally defined as well even As we take these kind of like clumsy stabs at talking about um, addiction and talking about substance use and talking about how we define that and how we define normal and what is, you know, an okay way to unwind and then what is a problem, even as we have these very rudimentary cultural conversations, I feel like it's opening a door for so many people to examine and actually critically think about what that means to them. Yeah. And that's huge, just taking away some of that stigma. Totally. And obviously, I feel like most mental health topics really reduce to what if we took away the stigma? <laughs> yeah. But, and it's
0: been getting better over the years. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's still difficult. Like, I struggle yeah. to talk about it in real life.
1: Yeah. It's really no, hard. It's, it's very hard. It is. And especially as culturally we start having those discussions, if we could get to a point where a lot of clinicians Hmm. and a lot of people working in recovery had, I won't say more progressive because I think that that kind of moralizes it, but had slightly more updated versions of what successful recovery looks like or what, you know, again, using recovery for lack of a better word, I guess, but what remission to be yeah honestly like how we can define what successful you know moderation or abstinence or management of substance use looks like and how that works from from patient to patient and person to person and I think that if we could just bring some of that into like the medical discussion as well as the, the cultural discussion that would be huge that would have such a major effect on like just the way we approach these things. I know that if any of that had been normalized or any of that had been talked about, or if any of that had been the dominant or even, you know, a large minority attitude, um, when I was growing up, I certainly would not have found myself like accidentally addicted to opiates and not having any idea about it,
0: (laughs) you know? What does air quotes recovery look like to you personally?
1: Man, at this point, I don't know that I have a soul like a single definition of it yeah, because that's fair. I certainly I did the total recovery like thing for four years and then I slipped and, you know, never quit. And of course, like relapse is a part of recovery. Everyone will say that. Even the most hardline AA people will say that. Uh, I'm at the point though.
0: I'm at the point where I kind of roll my eyes when people say that because it feels like a cop out (laughs) to me. And I'm an addict. (laughs) Like I, I just hear it so much. It's like no, you're. I I use it to like torture myself. I'm like no, you're Um. weak. You're just using (laughs) that as an excuse.
1: Well, and certainly there's people that do. Certainly there's people where I I think that so much of it is in what you do after that. You know, if you slip up and then you're dedicated to it, you understand your motives, you understand kind of what brought you to the point where you did, you know, go back to your, your drug of choice. Take that as a learning experience and move on. That's awesome. But you know, certainly there's people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, we it's, have this is part of recovery. It's easier
0: said than done.
1: <laughs> yeah, it so is. And I mean, maybe that's the key, frankly, like maybe we just need a little bit more patience for the the fuck up part of recovery because there's yeah. so much of it. Even what we were talking about earlier, where recovery is this very clean, very, like, passive word where it feels like it's just
0: something that happens it's one to and you. done. Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe, like, a little more transparency about the fact that, like, it's, it's messy, it's embarrassing, it's boring as hell sometimes. And we
0: need to get it's, rid of the morals. Like, it's a... Yeah. Th- I think that's a big one. Like, we need to get it, rid it of is. the... the idea that it's good and evil you're a bad person Mm -hmm. if you do it you're a good person if you quit you know it's yeah it has so many morals attached to it absolutely you you used a better (laughs) word earlier i forget what it was but (laughs) um
1: (laughs) i don't know trying to think of like how i've described it i i don't know but like yeah we are stuck with so much language that's either left over from literally aa which you know obviously was it's, it's very old and it's very faith based. Um, yes. And so that will leave you with some very harsh language or just language that's left over from really like scare tactics mm-hmm. and some very dated approaches to public health. And obviously, public health is getting, you know, it, it's getting better. It's and trying. The way, you know, it's trying. We're getting there very slowly. But Yeah removing a lot of the moralistic elements would do so many people such a huge favor.
0: So what do you wish that you had known growing up? Like how, what advice would you give to, you know, younger people who are struggling with addictions?
1: It's maybe a platitude, but the biggest thing that would have helped me is just knowing how common it is. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, It can be so isolating, obviously, because when you're having those moments where, you know, you've just done something that is objectively embarrassing or objectively scary, like even to you in your, you know, drunk or high state... It is so easy to immediately go to, again, that moralistic place where you're just like, oh, man, I fucked this up. Like, God, I can never tell anyone about this. I have to hide this. I got to fix this. And you take drastic measures and you don't reach out. You you fail to connect with people who would frankly be probably very helpful and empathetic if you would be able to let them in. And I think that the biggest thing I wish I had known is, I mean, one, anything about drugs um, but to just it's it's so common it is so common and there's no shame in it I'm nodding it fervently happens. right
0: now but you can't yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> like there is literally it's not something you did you did not like set yourself up for this you don't deserve this this yeah. isn't a bad choice you made. This is a whole lot of factors, totally, and tons of other people are going through it. Yeah, like, I I wish I had known that, and, and I no wish I had really been able it. to believe that. Nobody talks about it, and if they do, we still try to sanitize the narrative.
0: Yeah, it's sad. I mean, we I'm glad that you're talking about it now, and that you you know are slowly spreading the word amongst your circle of friends. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like I I certainly don't have a use pattern that I would quantify as like, you know, objectively healthy, certainly don't have a use pattern that I feel like is even ideal for me. But what I do have at this point is an understanding that right now what I'm doing is the safest option for me and that I'll, I'll work towards something I'll that's all you can do. You know, yeah. That's all
0: you can do. You're yeah. surviving. You're alive. Like you've made it this far, yeah. and you're just doing what you can. That's all anyone yeah. can do.
1: It's just absolutely, absolutely.
0: Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
1: Man, no. I, 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 don't. I don't think I do. This was so <laughs> I'm much just fun.
0: Yeah, I'm literally just I feel like I'm just hanging out with a girlfriend like I'm just sitting on my couch, like (laughs) with candles burning around me drinking a Powerade and (laughs) yeah, (laughs) this is so much fun. you're amazing to talk to so much.
1: Thank you for sharing
0: your story. And for anyone listening who is struggling with addiction, Mm -hmm. I just we really want to hammer it home that you are not alone. Like this is very common. Absolutely
1: not. And it is so common. And it is so common, I think, for people to go through periods of addiction or periods of problematic use and then either move on or just not talk about it. Like even if it's temporary, like people go through it and we just don't talk about it.
0: Yeah. Do you have any resources to point people towards like websites or anything like that?
1: Oh, man, I, I wish I had, um, like, assembled a better toolkit. <laughs> no, you're good. I yeah, I, I might include I think, some
0: in the comments later. Yeah,
1: yeah, that would be great because I feel like offhand – for me, I, and again, it's not without its problems, but I definitely have been through the gamut of a lot of 12-step programs and um especially if you were in an area with um low to no access to mental health resources, that is definitely an option. Uh, smart recovery also, it's uh, still still like plagued with its problems but a little less godly. Yeah, I've and been to if smart you're just recovery. looking to yeah, if you're just looking to like dip your toes into what that situation might feel like and certainly it's it's a modality that really works for a lot of people so if if anything not ruling out yeah if
0: anything it's just nice to talk to someone sometimes you know you might not want to do the whole 12 steps thing exactly but you don't
1: have to buy into it wholesale yeah but just go and
0: talk to someone
1: yeah, yeah, it can be, and I, I know that I've spent most of this conversation being like, "Yeah, I'm not sober at all," and so I'm sure that if I walked into if I walked into the rooms right now, they'd hand me my 24-hour chip and then judge me silently. But um, <laughs> I, no, they wouldn't. They're very nice people. Um, but sometimes, honestly, that's all it takes is just getting in a room where that's not the focus where you can just be around a sober person and just acknowledge what you're going through. Yeah, and sometimes
0: that's the catharsis that you need. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, on the same note, like, just not being afraid to open up to people that you're close to. It can be terrifying to just, like, predict their reactions or, like, you know. what do you say to people? Man, that conversation has gone differently with a lot of people, but honestly, I've kind of opened up the same way I've opened up about a lot of my mental health issues and um I will come in and just either ask if you know they're willing to talk about something or if I can just like kind of non-judgmentally be honest about something because I think it's important for them to know for me it's always been helpful to kind of like bookend that conversation with an acknowledgement that like hey this might be difficult to hear. It might be something that is not a surprise to you. It might be something that is a shock. You know, I can't predict how you're going to react. But if you're upset, if you're scared, if you're angry, like those are all totally valid. Just know that this is something that I want to be honest with you about. Because like, I think it is only fair and safe for all of us to acknowledge this. And just going in that way. And Sometimes, you know, if someone was not around for uh, certain parts of my backstory, (laughs) it's helpful to fill them in on that, like to an extent. Um, But just coming in and saying like, you know, hey, like, I feel like I'm at a point where this obviously isn't ideal, but it is the safest thing for me right now. And, you know, you're someone who I consider to be like, I'm close to you, you're a part of my network, you're a part of my support circle like i i would like you to know this and i understand if you're upset or if you have a lot of conflicting feelings um but i think it's best if we just acknowledge it um
0: i like that because you're you're making them feel valid as well
1: yeah definitely it's i i don't think it's ever gone really crash and burn poorly certainly people feel feelings you know it, it will it's an admission that and i think especially if you go in And you're like, hey, I know this isn't good, but for me, it's the best bad option right now. Um, That can be hard to hear, really. Um, I've definitely had people react in the same way that, like, they might react if I told them that I was, you know, self-harming in another way. Or if I admitted. Yeah, there's a stigma. But. Ultimately, I think that for a lot of the people who I've, you know, admitted that to and had that conversation with, it's really been valuable and it's really kind of cleared the air because I don't think anyone's been shocked by it. <laughs>
0: it's, and that terrifies me.
1: Yeah. But
0: it's, it's a fact. It's, always, it's you're never it as is. smooth as you think you are.
1: And that's the that is the bullshit sleight of hand of addiction, mm-hmm. really. Um, you are always think you are keeping it together significantly better than you are. Yep. And it's very helpful sometimes. And it's so freeing to just be honest that you're in an imperfect place yeah. and that you are just trying rather than pretending that things are normal and then letting people, you know, piece together yeah, all the that's, that's <laughs> so <sound>
0: good. <laughs> well, that is, yeah. that's amazing advice. Um, I mean, I definitely learned something listen like listening to that conversation like <laughs> I don't know it's hard to talk about and you know it's great to it have is, examples yeah. well thank you well, thank so you. much for being on here yeah. I love this, this conversation and um we should do it again sometime
1: yeah like, no absolutely
0: again thank, awesome. you, so thank much. you so
1: much yeah and yeah, have a wonderful this night this is fantastic yes. thank you you too bye right. bye